right. Good morning, everybody. So that right there is why we do Love Evolution, right? So yesterday I was out with my daughter Mariah and we were canvassing the valley trying to make sure that we find the perfect Christmas gifts for our family. How many of you were out there yesterday? Okay. The rest of you are so smart. You're so smart. You were at Amazon, right? You're just like looking on the computer. Oh my goodness. But I mean, it, it is. And I, and, and I think it's a wonderful thing. Right? For all of us, people we love at Christmas time. God so loved that he gave. We so love that we give. But all I want for Christmas, trying to figure out what my kids, what Susie wants for Christmas. Hello. And then at the same time, we have brothers and sisters around the world who are saying, all I want for Christmas is clean water. Right? I mean, we, we have people who are saying, I have real legitimate needs. And when God so loved the world, that he gave his son to us, it was because he saw our need. He saw that we were separated, that we were apart from him, and so he came and he gave to meet that need, all right? So, you guys, that's why we're doing Love Evolution. And not only are some people saying, I, I want, you know, Christmas to, to clean water, the other organizations that we're helping, almost every one of them are saying, I'd love someone, I'd love a home even to go to. As we deal with people in the foster care system and adoption and refugees and people who've ripped from their homes. And so, again, all we're asking you to do, don't increase your Christmas budget. Just give one less sweater. That'd be awesome, right? Give one less sweater than what you were going to give. One less toy than you were going to give. And I, again, our family, our kids always love it when we stop and just go, okay, so what are we going to actually give this Christmas like Jesus gave? All right? So um, now at this time, we're going to go ahead and take our offering. And this is important, right? Because when we do Love Evolution, it's an, it's an offering. It's like, man, this is above and beyond what we normally give. And when you, when you open up the scriptures, you'll see that there is a regular giving that just goes to the church, that goes to God. And then they would go, hey, but now there's some people in need and people would give above and beyond that. So as we get ready to take our offering now, I just wanted to remind you all of a couple things. Um, th three weeks ago, right, we shared with you guys that we have been doing really well financially, regularly here, which has been so good, until this fall, like something dipped. And, and so we just wanted to make sure that you were aware of that so that you could just get, because you guys have been super faithful, and we just wanted to make sure you were aware of that so we could jump back in and make sure that we have everything that we need to do the ministry to the world and to our community and to each other. And so, but practically, practically, can I just give you a couple practical things that you can do? Um, Susie and I, the best way we do this right here, because lots of people, you know, we don't care a whole lot of cash or checkbooks or, or a whole lot. So Susie and I, what we do, we, we bank with Wells Fargo, and we just immediately, as soon as our uh, paycheck is deposited in, we just set up a recurring giving. And it just gives our tithe right back to God on a regular basis. And it's such an easy, super clear way to do that, all right? If you don't have that, you could also just go right to our website, and when you set up giving, you can set up a recurring program on our, on our website as well. And then the third way that's super easy, because all of us use these things and at any moment, is just a simple app that's called PushPay, okay? You can download this simple little app, PushPay, and it just sets it up in just a few minutes, and at any time, just with a click of a button on a phone, you can do it. And so we just know that's kind of how we operate in our world today with our finances, and we wanted to let you know that you can operate that way with your finances here as well. All right? Okay, so as they continue to take the offering, let's go ahead and jump in. All I want for Christmas is you. 
So how many of you are going home? Anybody going home for Christmas here today? How many of you, anybody? Like, no, okay. Quite a few of you, okay, hands are starting to rise. I'll never forget, um, my, my, for me growing up, Christmas was just the best day of the year as a kid. Anybody else? Christmas was like the best day. It was such a great family thing. In fact, we would always celebrate our extended Christmases, you know, not on Christmas Day, so we could just be together as a family on Christmas Day. And I'll remember when I finally moved away and had my first job, and I was living in Ohio instead of Michigan. I don't know how anybody from Michigan can live in Ohio. That was part of my suffering for Jesus. But, uh, but I'll never forget, I couldn't wait to go home. I'll be home for Christmas. You know, I mean, because I just, it was just, that's what Christmas is all about. And so when you can't wait for something like that, right, you put these grand expectations and I couldn't wait because we had a long driveway, right? And I knew I was going to drive for a while, so I was going to get, get home late at night. And so I'd drive up, and they'd see my headlights, right, and at the, at the um, end of the driveway. And immediately, as soon as I would get there, they'd become running out the door. Dave, you're home, right? And they'd embrace me. I'm like, oh, this is so good to be home for Christmas. And I'll never forget, I, I drove up the driveway. I pulled up. Nobody came out the door. I'm like, okay, that's cool. I get it, you know, but I'm still super excited. I open up the door. I walk in. My brother literally walks right by me and goes, hey, Dave, and just keeps on. And do I mean, it was like nobody cared that I was home. And it's like, wait a second, guys, this is, this is what it's all about for me. Now, here's, it's, today's message is pretty interesting how this all fell in line because we're just going right straight through Romans chapter 8 in our scripture. But here's what we know about Christmas. It is the most wonderful time of the year. And because it's the most wonderful time of the year, for many people, it's the worst time of the year. Because we have these memories, we have these expectations, we have these things that we want to see. Like for some of you, I'm sure in a room this size, this is your first Christmas without a loved one. I'll never forget the first Christmas without my mom. Like, that's not the most wonderful time of the year. In fact, her loss is just escalated at that time. And so some of you, you're like, oh, my God, yeah, I'm going home for Christmas. And, oh, man, I don't want to go home for Christmas. And you've got conflict. You've got stuff that's going on. And it, Christmas is just going to elevate the whole problem. Any struggle that I think we're experiencing in our life I think this season can actually escalate it. And so the title for this message is Game On. <laughs> and I think for some of you, you are in Game On right now inside here. And that's what we're talking about. So let me just recap this if you haven't been with us. You, you, you can always go back, watch all of our messages um, online, you listen to our podcast. But we call this Game On because in Romans chapter 7, Paul tells us there's a huge battle that goes on inside of me. And, I, and we titled it, You Can't Win for Losing. <laughs> because Paul just says, I desire so strongly to do what God wants me to do. And yet every time I desire that, there's this other law right beside me saying, no, don't do what God wants you to do. <laughs> do what you want to do. And so you have this conflict inside of you. And Paul just goes, I hate this. I hate the fact that I end up doing stuff I don't want to do. So then he asks this great question, who's going to rescue me? <laughs> Right? Who's going to help me? What a wretched man I am. So then the, you jump into Romans chapter 8, and then the next message is 
game plan. God actually has a game plan. And he, there's two things he says right off the bat. If you'll receive Christ into your life, I'm going to take everything you've ever done wrong, and I'm going to erase it from your record. I'm going to wash you absolutely clean, and you never, ever, ever have to wonder your status with me ever again. Isn't that great news? Okay, that's Christmas right there. No condemnation, he says. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But then he doesn't say, okay, but great, but now you just have to keep doing bad stuff. He says, no. Now, the other good news is Jesus didn't just die for your sin. He rose again. And the same spirit that rose Jesus Christ is now living inside you. So now there's a game plan. You can actually fight this battle and you can win this battle so you have a power inside of you to do what you actually want to do. And then last week he says, now let me just keep solidifying you a little bit more. When you received me, you joined the winning team. You became a child of mine. You are no longer a slave to sin, no longer a slave to fear. No, now you know. And not only, if you're my child, you're my heir. You guys heard right? So, and if you're an heir, that means everything that your dad's is yours. So everything that's God's is ours. That's awesome. And then Paul ended it and he said this. It's all yours if you share in Christ's sufferings. If you share in his sufferings, then you'll be able to share in his glories. In his glory. So when we think about that today, what we're going to do is say, what gets you through the hard times? Because Paul makes it very clear. The Bible, I love that the Bible doesn't sugarcoat this. This is tough down here. But what gets you through when the struggles are really hard, when you're suffering? Those are the words we're going to look at today. When you're groaning inside. Okay. I don't know about you, but how many of you groan when you work out? Anybody else groan when you, like, I, you know, what, what keeps you going when you're suffering? Like if I'm on my bike or if I'm on the treadmill or whatever, you know what keeps me going? The fact that the clock is winding down, right? I know the clock is winding down. And I actually try to, I put my towel over top of that because it never winds down fast enough, right? And it's very discouraging. But then every once in a while I'll look and I'll go, oh, great, only 10 more minutes. And only 10 more minutes makes me keep going, right? And then especially when he gets down to those two minutes, then I think I'm a real, you know, tough guy. And then I'll watch me, man, right? The last, because I only got two minutes, right? So I can suffer because I know the clock is going to hit zero. And I've shared this before. How cool it would be. I, I, for years here, because football games, right, they're always done before I get home. I would always say, don't show me the score. Don't show me the score. Don't show me the score. And then I go home and I watch a Lions game and I just suffer through them. And I'm kidding. I would. You know what I did this year? I'm looking at the score. You know how cool it is? Right off the bat, like the first game of the season, they were playing horrible, but I knew they won. So what happened while I was watching the game? I was totally calm. Well, I, I wasn't throwing things at all at home. They <laughs> threatening the children or anything. It was awesome. See, when you know the final score, when you know the outcome, it can co totally change the suffering. Okay. So here we go. Let's keep going. Here we are. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of him who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay 
and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And not only so, but we ourselves, even us who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we are saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we don't have yet, we wait for it patiently. And in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So here's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at the struggle, and then we're going to look at the strength. There is a struggle, and there is strength. Okay? Let me just real quick. Here's the struggle. If you're human, you're suffering. At some point, you'll suffer. We suffer physically. We suffer emotionally. We suffer relationally. And what's so great is what we realize is, but we're not alone in our suffering. You are going to suffer, but you're not alone in your suffering. So last year, Susie and I had the honor and privilege to go with our Celebrate Recovery uh, leadership team uh, to the national conference at, at uh, Saddleback Church in Southern California. And it was, it was phenomenal, unbelievable. And uh, during that time, uh, Francine Pollack it was, it was one of our co-directors of the ministry. And um, we've talked a lot through the years, but it's always been kind of, hey, 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 how you doing? And this time we actually really got to be with each other. And uh, when we got back, Francine actually emailed me her story. One of the greatest things at the Celebrate Recovery thing, the stories of people's lives are unbelievable. Unbelievably broken, unbelievably hurtful, unbelievable suffering, and unbelievable redemption. And so Francine emailed me her story, and I was like, I had no idea. Here's what's true, you guys. You look around this room, you have no idea the stories that are in this room. So um, Francine is willing today. She's going to come up, and she's going to share her story with you. So would you guys please welcome Francine Pollack up to the stage today? So Francine, uh, before you jump in, uh, how long have you been coming to K2? So I've been coming to K2 since about 2009. 2009. Mm -hmm. Sweet. And where you live? I live out in West Jordan. Who's that handsome stud you're sitting next to over there? That would be my husband, Scott. Nice. <laughs> awesome, man. And so, and what do you do? What's, what, what do you do during the, during the week? So during the week, I actually am a small business consultant. I mainly focus in human resources. Cool. And I've been doing that forever. 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 Fantastic. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks so much for being willing to share your story. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, too. All right, so I often joke, everyone has a story, right? But I often joke that I've had many lifetimes in this life because of all the opportunities that I've had. I was raised LDS. Um, my parents divorced when I was seven. My father was an alcoholic. And he remarried quickly with very little time left over for me. 
Um, he would oftentimes forget to pick me up. My mom went from being a single stay-at-home mom to now, or being a married stay-at-home mom to now being a single mom with three jobs. So she wasn't home a lot. We struggled with being latchkey kids, having little time in the way of food or clothing after the divorce. I was molested at age 10 by my mom's boyfriend and later sexually assaulted at age 11 by the man whom my mom was actually going to marry. I believed it to be my fault, so I did what most of us do, and I locked it away, pretending that it never happened. I decided that I would survive and that I would protect and control the things that I could control, and so I would be perfect in everything that I could do. When I turned 12, I understood that I could make a choice to go live with my dad. What I didn't know is how much disdain my stepmother held for me. I had chores like any other teenager, scrubbing the sides and the sides of carpet and raking it. So back in the 70s, you had those runners. You had to roll them up, scrub, rake, do all that fun stuff, right? Um, that was my job. And so when my dad didn't come home at night, which was a lot, he, um, she woke me up and had me redo my chores. So being sleep deprived, I'd go to school where I had to perform academically perfectly. And I was withdrawn, started drinking vodka, and was doing drugs to cope and to survive. I was called into a hearing with my church leaders who accused me of things that I had never done. I walked out of that meeting with one thought, I'm out, I'm done. I decided that the next day would be the last day that I walked on the earth. By this time, I was drinking and doing drugs all the time. My body was covered in the most painful infected boils I had ever known. I had lost all hope. I went to school and purchased enough drugs to end my life. My best friend found out. He got in my locker, flushed the drugs down the toilet. Being Italian and Irish, I wasn't angry at all. <laughs> Until he told me that his stepdad committed suicide in front of him, and he wouldn't lose me too. So against my own wishes, I made a promise that I would live that day. By the tender age of 14, I was a mess. Having no hope, no reason to live, I wasn't wanted anywhere or by anyone. And I felt alone, even surrounded by people, because I couldn't let them see or know the ugliness and evil inside of me. I couldn't and wouldn't trust anyone. I took off and started walking. I ended up at my aunt and uncle's house. I told them almost everything. I couldn't admit to the sexual abuse. It was simply too ugly. My mom came over later, and my uncle and aunt invited me to church. I certainly didn't believe in any god. How could you believe in a god that let things like that happen to a child? But I had nowhere else to go, so I agreed, saying, oh, sure, why not take the devil to church? Little did I know, my life would be forever changed. It was here that I first heard the voice of God. I thought it was a hallucination at first, or a joke. Then I knew it wasn't. I opened my heart to Jesus, and I went from being a drug girl to a God girl. I had a genuine second chance at life, a new path. Even though I had loved the youth group, I became very active in it. I couldn't tell the truth to them. I was ashamed. I would have given anything to have something like Celebrate Recovery's youth program, along with my regular youth program. Later, I went away to college, where I was attacked yet again. I couldn't understand, how could God let this happen again? I've been so good. I knew it still must be that ugliness that was deep inside me. I was filled with shame locked away the pain in my vault, and I returned to Utah, reconnected with an old boyfriend, and then later married him. He was a non-believer, and at the age of 19, 
we were both married with the understanding that we wouldn't be able to have children. You see, according to doctors, I was damaged. But once again, that wasn't God's plan. I was blessed with the miracle of my son, Tyler, whom I almost lost before birth and shortly after. I did lose three babies in the process of one almost losing my life as well. We were told that I wouldn't be able to conceive another with only one fallopian tube left. My body simply couldn't handle another pregnancy. But again, God had a different plan. A year and a half later, we were blessed with the birth of my second miracle, our daughter Shanice. At age 30, I was diagnosed with cancer in my uterus, naturally. I was devastated at the news. Later, after having received the C word news a few more times, I've come to realize, appreciate, and understand that I've actually truly been blessed. They've been able to catch it early, remove a body part, give me a little bit of treatment, and I've been able to live fairly normally, just a lot hormonally. <laughs> Although I still really despise waiting for test results when it's time for that. As, I continue, as life continued to unfold chapter by chapter, I found myself dying again piece by piece, living in a world pretending to be happy, but never really measuring up to the expectations of those around me. I couldn't be what they wanted. I wasn't a perfect wife. I had a career, so I certainly wasn't a perfect mom. I didn't have enough time for them, and no matter what I did, it wasn't enough. I stopped going to church when my children were little because I felt guilty and wanted to spend more time with them. Church was really an inconvenience for me. I still had faith, but I was not living in it. Again, I fell short, but I certainly had a perfect mask. When I was getting ready to give up again, God sent someone into my life that sent me to K2, where I've been blessed by the children in Adventure Canyon more than they'll ever know. I've learned all of those years of stinking thinking that have been in my head are lies. And I've learned that through Celebrate Recovery. They're lies directly from the pit of hell. I even have friends now, people that I count on, people who are my family, and they love me on my worst days, even when I have a complete meltdown in front of all of them. They love me anyway. So sure, I've had experiences in my life that, are, that aren't great. Some really stink. But the truth is, looking back, I've been blessed beyond measure. God has given me so many gifts. He's blessed me with a strong will, a stubborn streak, and even a little bit of defiance. And that helped keep me going. But more importantly, when the load got too heavy for me, there always seemed to be someone in my life that was sent just at the right time with just the right words. So if something in my life and my struggles can turn something beautiful for someone else and bring hope, it was worth every last bit of pain. So I'm with you here today because of God's grace. And believe it or not, Dave and Susie trust me with the Celebrate Recovery Ministry. Frightening, isn't it? <laughs> and we're relaunching our youth program starting on January 8th to provide a place for our youth to go as well. So remember that Celebrate Recovery isn't just for addictions and issues. It's for all of life's struggles. If it can help someone like me, it might be able to help someone like you. I'll always be in recovery because like a child, God hasn't finished with me yet. He's still masterfully and uniquely shaping me into what he needs me to be. And I'm incredibly grateful for the plans that he has for me and for you as well. 
And I hope to welcome each of you on a Monday night, and yes, even on Christmas night, we'll be there to walk right alongside with you. So here's what I know. There is nothing more powerful on this planet than when you are fully known and fully loved. Some of you are sitting here and you've gone, I've got stuff like that in my life and I've never been able to tell anyone. And so you hold that in. And one of the greatest things about Celebrate Recovery, you guys, on Monday nights is it's a place where people, like, like she said, not just addic addictions, it's hurts hang-ups and habits like that are just keeping you from living and finding a group of people who are willing to say, yes, we're suffering just like the rest of humanity, but we're not going to deny it. We're not going to put the mask on anymore and cover it up. We're actually going to go in and we're going to love each other and we're going to let this grace of God that can come and heal and restore and renew. And so thank you so much, Francine, for being willing to share. Because here's what Jesus said, you guys. In this world, you're going to have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In this world, you're going to suffer. In this world, you're going to groan. It's going to happen, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So here's, but here's what it, it was interesting to me in this passage as he's trying to help, right? What is, you got to remember the context of what Paul is saying here is there's an internal struggle within every one of us. Because we want a certain life, and yet we keep doing the opposite thing. And why is that? And so what he said is, you're never going to receive the glory, share in Christ's glory. Not if, he doesn't say, if you don't share in the sufferings of the world, everybody's sharing in the sufferings of the world. He's saying you're never going to experience the glory that can be yours if you don't share in Christ's sufferings. What does that mean? In light of the sufferings that we go on down here, here's the challenge, I think. In this world, you're going to have trouble, but here's what's crazy about human nature. We will have a tendency in the trouble to turn from God and to go to the world. <laughs> the very thing that brought us all the pain, we go back to instead of to God. And that's where the game is on. There's this weird thing inside of us. Why, when I'm hurting so bad, do I go to stuff that destroys me even more? <laughs> instead of suffering. And then I end up suffering that way instead of suffering with Christ. Remember last week? He suffered when he was tempted. He went through every struggle that we went through. But he stayed true. So how do we do this? I, I think there's three battlefields that where, we, where we really struggle in our suffering. One is just our own, our own, the Bible calls it our flesh. It's our own nature, right? Romans 7, Paul again, I want this, but there's another law at work. And so we end up suffering in the battle with ourselves. But then we have the battle with this world. We suffer in the world. And sometimes, right, the scripture said, all of creation has been subjected to frustration, or the word means like futility, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. It's one of the things we know. Science understands this. All of creation is just decaying. 
So sometimes the struggle that we have, and we struggle to stay true to God, sometimes because of physical illness, sometimes because of our own bodies decaying. My, seven, my niece this morning in seventh grade is in the hospital back in Michigan, and they don't know what's going wrong. She, she ended up having 24 bruises all over her body, and these spots, and she scratched them during the night, and they're bleeding. Her platelet level is at four, and it's supposed to be 120. And they don't know what's going on. That's my brother and his wife today. Why? Because this is a broken world. It's a decaying world. And so we struggle through that. And so what we'll do is we'll go, instead of going, God, where are you? We go, God. And then we, we dive into the world and we go, okay, broken world, please help me. <laughs> instead of looking to God. And then in this world, we also struggle with temptation because it's not only is the, the physical world broken, but human beings are broken. <laughs> and so we suffer like Francine through the ills of other people. <laughs> And so again, when that happens, there becomes a battle inside of us. And you say, man, I got I to medicate this. I got to numb this. I got to feel better. I got to have hope. And we struggle. The game is on. Who are you going to go to? Are you going to suffer with Christ through these? Or are you going to go back to the world and ask the world to help you? And then in the midst of that, we have the enemy, right? You have, you have your own flesh. You got the brokenness of the world around you. And then you have the enemy, spiritually, who does nothing. Jesus said all he wants to do is steal, kill, and destroy you. That's all he wants to do. So he lies to us over and over again. That Jesus said he's a father of all lies. He lies to you about yourself. He is the one who wants you to think you're a loser. He's the one who wants you to think that you're not worthy of being loved. He's the one who lures you into temptation, and once you do it, he accuses you and makes you feel all full of shame. He lies to you about yourself. He lies to you about everybody else around you. Okay, so so many of us, we have views of the people around us, and we're judging them, we're angry at them, and we have Satan's views towards other people instead of God's, and then he lies to us about God. <laughs> and he's like, you can't trust him, look what he did, when Satan's going, I actually did this, wasn't I awesome? And then, let me lure you back into the world, numb it, <laughs> try harder, work, be better, be successful, and everything we put our hope in doesn't work. Game on, baby. Game on. And so what we got to do, man, is we got to find, am I going to suffer with Christ? And here's what, how are these sufferings? But how do I suffer in Christ? And I think this is the battle. Will I trust God? And will I love him in the midst of this broken world? That's the real battle. Because you're all going to suffer. Jesus told us we would. You're all going to groan. But the battle is for your soul, man. It's in here. And this is where we got. And Jesus is the one who says, yeah, 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 yeah. In this world, you're going to suffer. But take heart. Why? Because I did it. Game on and I won. I can actually give you the strength and the power to keep, keep trusting God and keep loving him and hang with him even through your darkest days, all right? So, man, we're suffering real quick, then we're groaning, right? He says, Romans 8, 23 says, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait. We groan inwardly as we wait. He goes, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. We, we actually get to taste God. 
That's all I could think of. You know, one of my favorite memories for, for Christmas was making Christmas cookies with my mom. I just absolutely love making Christmas cookies. And the best part is when she let me lick the beater, right? But she lets you lick the beater, and then what does she say? No, 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 can't have any more. You have to wait. And so what do you do as an eight-year-old kid? You groan. Oh, come on, Mom. Really? And so what he's saying here is those of us who are Christians, you've actually tasted, you've had a first fruit of the Spirit inside of you. You now know. You now have something inside of you that's going, okay, I've tasted and God is good. Then why is it still broken? Why don't I have more victory? What's going on? How come God, how come God? doesn't just take away all this good stuff. And so we have this first through the Spirit, and it lets us know, oh, there's something so much more. The cookies are coming out, Dave. Just chill. Just chill. So we groan inwardly because we have the first fruits of the Spirit. So we're suffering in this world. We're groaning inside. So now let's go to it, baby. Here's the strength. Here's the strength. The first thing, and I'm going to flip this around. I, I forgot to tell you that. Actually, y'all who are working up here, <laughs> I forgot to mention this. Could you go to, we're helped through the Holy Spirit first. I'm going to flip this on us a little bit. We're helped through the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 26 and 27 says this. In the same way, okay, so here we are. God, I want to win. I want to stay true to you. I want to stay in line with you. I want your life. I don't want to get caught up in all this stuff. He says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Now, I'm just going to be totally honest with you, man. I'm like, what in the world? Is he talking about? Anybody else? All right? If you're Pentecostal, you're like, well, this is speaking in tongues. I'm like, I, I believe in speaking in tongues. I actually don't. I don't think that's what this is. Okay? So, I mean, I read scholars. I listened to messages. I'm like, what in the world is he saying? I'm going to give you my best shot. Okay? Notice what he says. I think this is the key. We don't know what to pray for. When we're suffering and it's really intense, we're like, I don't know what to pray for. Versus the spirit who's now living inside any Christian. So this is the good news for all of you guys who are maybe checking out Christianity. You can literally, Christianity means you have the spirit of God inside of you. The spirit intercedes for God's people. How? In accordance with the will of God. As humans, we're going, I don't know what I have to pray for. The Holy Spirit's going, I know what to pray for. And I will intercede for you in accordance with the will of God. So let me get, let me, how many of you have ever, how many of you have ever asked for things from God? And now years later, you look back and you go, oh, thank God he didn't give me that. Anybody, anybody else? Okay. So, so Susie and I, my, our story, we both had intense, uh, intimate, long relationships, right, with people before us. And so what we did is, right, you guys who are single, right, we're praying, oh, God, but please, please make this work. Please give me your love for her. Please help her. Please, God, make this thing work. Okay? Now, is God going to answer that prayer? Now, here's what's interesting. I love how Tim Keller said that. He goes, really, there's two types of prayer. 
There's a core prayer. Yes, you need something. That's a good core prayer. He goes, then there's a stupid prayer. <laughs> that I think this girl is going to be the thing that's going to meet my needs. Right? So, you know what's so cool? Is here's what I think he's saying. You don't know what you ought to pray for. And lots of times you're thinking, but I need this job. I need this girl. I need this man. I need these things. And God's up there going, yeah, yeah, you don't actually really know what you ought to be praying for. This is amazing. Now, let's talk about this. How many of us, when we're in a hard situation, how many of you pray, God, please get me out of this situation? Okay, that's what we pray. Now, here's what's really interesting, right? Please take away these hard things. Please, what we're saying is, please take away sharing in Christ's sufferings. But I can't actually experience God's glory if I don't share in his sufferings. And yet we're asking, so again, we don't actually know what we should pray for. You know, it's interesting, right? When you go in and you're working out, if you're doing biceps, I think that's how you do it. I haven't done it in a long time. But, right? But what happens when you're working out, what it feels like is what? I'm getting weaker and weaker. And I mean, how many of you guys have really worked out? I remember there's times where I'm like, I can't even comb my hair. You know, you're like, oh my God. And, uh, and yet, what was going on while you were getting weaker? You actually were getting stronger in your weakness. Oh, Lord, please take this away. He goes, you don't, you don't know what to pray for. If I take this away, you will never become everything I've created you to become. Tim Keller says this so good. He goes, wouldn't it be great if God always gave you what you would have asked for if you knew everything that he knows? Can I say that again? Wouldn't it be great if God always gave you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows? Because I'm telling you, man, way back when I was in my 20s, I would have been going, Lord, please just get me out of this relationship because I know what you have for me. Guess what? God knows what you ought to pray for. I never understood this before. Hey, Christians, here's some good news. When you're weak and you're praying the wrong thing, the Holy Spirit's inside of you. And he's actually interceding for you. And when he prays to the Father on your behalf, He's going, hey, God, I know what your will is, and I'm asking you to do it, even though they don't want you to do it. Keep doing it. And you have a dad who loves you so much that he allows you to stay in the suffering until it's produced, right? That's why Paul can say earlier in Romans, we rejoice in our suffering because it produces perseverance, and perseverance gives us character, and character gives us hope. You are helped by the Holy Spirit inside you. That's just amazing to me. What a cool God we have. All right, now let me, and then here's the last thing. And then you're helped through hope. You're helped through hope. Because in that verse it said, in the same way the Holy Spirit helps you. So he was just talking earlier about hope. So hope actually helps us, right? Romans 8.18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. This is a, guys, listen, what he, what's he saying? 
your deepest sufferings, the sufferings of this life, physically, emotionally, relationally, everything that you're going. Paul goes, everything you're suffering, he goes, it is, doesn't, it's not even worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed. Not even worth comparing? Come on, Paul, this is tough. He goes, if it's not worth comparing, that's like a Big Mac versus a Ruth Chris filet mignon. Right? That is not even, that's not even worth comparing. By the way, the price isn't worth comparing either, right? $3.99 versus $47 just for the meat. Okay. Anyway, it's, 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 it's not even worth comparing. I live in Salt Lake City, and my poor sister lives in Jackson, Mississippi, right? It's not even worth comparing. And I love you, Amy, if you listen to this. But here's what he's saying. Listen to what he's saying. This is so interesting. The weight of suffering versus the weight of glory. <sighs> glory is that much heavier. And we're suffering. So listen to this. So what I, this is the passage I was reading when I found out my mom had cancer. And we had to battle for two and a half years watching my mom disintegrate before my eyes. Okay? Sorry, I came out of left field, but here we go. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Okay? You don't have to lose heart in this battle. Why? Though outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. This is so interesting. And then he says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us they're achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Did you guys hear that? Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And I tell you, man, that's, that's the reality that he's trying to help us to understand here. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Oh, man. Did you guys, did you catch what he said about the creation? He said, the creation is groaning as in the pains of childbirth. Oh, my. Those birthing classes are a joke, aren't they? <laughs> Seriously. Hey, get some snacks, you know, and have some nice music <laughs> while your bride's writhing in pain. <laughs> you know, and it's just what a joke. I mean, seriously, we were sitting there and, 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 and uh, we're watching the monitor with Mariah and all of a sudden her contractions, Susie's contractions were so painful they went off the screen. That's how bad it was. And then Mariah's heart beat flatlined, okay? And so they're running in, get the dad scrubs. Next thing you know, there's like 12 people in our hospital room, okay? This is the pains of childbirth. Okay, so when Ashlyn was, when was born, wa Susie walked in the hospital and said, I'm getting an epidural like now. <laughs> and they all said, you're not even close. Don't worry about it. She goes, I want it now. She goes, don't worry about it. You're good. They leave. I'm standing in the room and all of a sudden Susie goes, get the doctor. <laughs> I run out the door. I look, it's a horror movie. There's no one in the halls. <laughs> and so what does she say? Get back in here. I'm okay. I mean, it was such severe pain for, I was really struggling, you know, for, for my wife. 
okay? No, I mean, it, our births were not easy. They were super intense and painful. And oh my God, I know you hated it, honey, but Mariah and Ashlyn? Caleb was easy, so. <laughs> Mariah and Ashlyn, though? You guys, this is what he's trying to help you understand. That pain is light and momentary compared to the eternal glory of day after day after day after year of loving our children. And what he's telling you is, when you struggle, are you seriously going to go drink some more? Are you seriously going to go try and get more money? Are you seriously going to go to sexual stuff and relationships? Are you going to go back to the world or are you going to share in the sufferings of Christ that says, I'm not going down that road, man. I'm going to fix my eyes on what is unseen. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit trust that the Spirit, even as I'm praying stupid prayers, is going to pray the right thing for me so that God's will is actually done for my life. And I'm going to trust him to do that. And while I do, I'm going to hope. I'm going to hope. And I won't lose heart. And literally, that's the application. What does he say? He starts off, he goes, I consider, I consider that the present sufferings aren't even comparison. You know what that word consider means? It means to add stuff. It's actually a counting term. It's like, it's like Eric Winter looking over every penny. Right? That's what it means. And what he's saying is, count what? Count what? Count what? What do I, what do I focus on? The eternal glory. The eternal glory that's yours. And so then you hope in this. And then he says, and the last thing he says, and then you wait. And then you wait. Did you guys see what he says? Two ways you wait. You wait eagerly because you believe it's coming. And you wait patiently. Like my poor 12-year-old son who's got all his presents under the tree. He's waiting eagerly for Christmas Day. But he's waiting patiently. But someday, he's going to open the gift. And he's going to know what he had. Come on, guys. This is how we win the game. We realize that the final score is Jesus Christ wins. And so do you. So you can go through the suffering of the game that looks like, what, another turnover? Are you kidding me? Yes, keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Going, you're gonna win. You're gonna win. All right, so band, come on up, and here's what you gotta do. How do you, how do you do this? How do you count? How do you consider? How do you do this? Here's what you got. One of the things right here is you gotta worship. I had a playlist. Somehow Apple messed it up and I lost it, which is really frustrating. Because I had a playlist, and all it was called was Trust Him. Trust Him. And I every worship song that made me, help me trust God, I put it in there. And whenever the sufferings of this world came in and I started doubting God's goodness, I would just put that in and listen to it over and over. I would worship him. I'd worship him. I'd worship him. And then you put, when you put Jesus in front of everything else, everything else in the world starts to look really stupid to go after because he's so good. So you worship him. You get into his word every day that's telling you the truth so you can fight. It's a sword of the spirit, man. What? You're totally tempted to go after this stuff and lose the battle. And the word of God is what gives you something to fight with. Some of you are going, key, key, key. you're like in a Rocky movie. You're just getting beat up. 
When the God says, I'll give you my word to fight with. Get in his word. And then the last thing is you start hanging out with each other. He says, don't give up meeting together, but encourage each other every day. Encourage each other every day. You're in a battle, man, for your soul, but you can win this thing, all right? So let's stand up, man, because what was Christmas? Israel was waiting hundreds of years for Christmas. Hundreds of years, hoping, right? Hoping that the Messiah would come. Well, Christmas has come, you guys. And now we put our hope in his presence with us and in eternity that's coming, all right? Take this time right now and fix your eyes on him. Set your hope in him. Let the reality of God's presence and the reality of our eternal glory with him soak into your soul.